Man looks upon the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. How does that apply today? Well, let's look at Christine and Brett. Kavanaugh, the accuser and the accused. What is the truth of that? I have no idea. Which one of them is telling the truth? I have no idea. I cannot see into their heart. So I don't know. God knows. Where else do we apply that today that, that God looks on the heart but we can't look on the heart? Let's look at our communion practice. The Lord's Supper. We don't practice open communion. Open communion is where everybody can come and take communion regardless of whether they know the Lord. We don't practice closed communion which limits it only to members of the church, covenant members. We practice kind of a mix somewhere in between. We allow people to come to take communion if they have Jesus Christ as their Savior and if they've been baptized by immersion, by being dunked. Now, now, do we have people coming up and taking communion that don't know the Lord? I don't know. I can't see into their hearts. God can. The same is true of baptism. What do we say when we dunk people? We say it's an outward sign of an inward condition. Do we have people get baptized who don't know the Lord? Hopefully not here. But I guarantee you of all the baptisms in the world, a whole bunch of them are people who really don't know the Lord and they're getting baptized for a different reason. We visited a friend down in uh, Alabama who said his pastor had run for, was it sheriff? He'd run for office somewhere down there. But he'd lost. And the reason is because he didn't belong to the right church. Because down in Alabama, Mississippi, in the Bible Belt, if you're not a member of the right church, you don't have the right social connections to get elected. How many people in the Bible Belt are members of their church so that they can have the right connections? I don't know. I can't see into their heart. God can. So since we're looking today actually at 1 Samuel 16, which is the anointing of David, this is when David is identified by Samuel to be the next king. And we're going to figure out what this has to do with heart issues. So uh, 1 Samuel 16, beginning in verse 1, if you have your, well, we call them pew Bibles. Are they really seat Bibles? Because we really don't have pews, so I guess they're seat Bibles. That's page uh, 238 of your seat Bibles. Um, most of you probably have a Bible app on your phone. So feel free to use your, your Bible off of that. We also are going to put it up on the screen. So please stand with me in honor of God's Word as we read 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. Since I asked you to read it out of your Bible, I should probably do the same thing. Huh? The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you should do. 
And you shall anoint for me whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shema pass by. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And he said, There remains the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Or as they say, sit down, y'all. Um, let's do a little bit of context here. Let's draw the, pic draw the picture of the overall story. Samuel's mother Hannah is barren. Can't have kids. God hears her prayer and gives her a kid named Samuel. When Samuel's about four years old, Hannah takes him to the temple to dedicate him, which means she gives up the kid to the temple. He lives at the temple from that day forward. He is the last judge of Israel and the first prophet of Israel. The judges generally got Israel out of trouble. They often led the military against the uh, Philistines, who were the oppressors at the time. Um, Samuel, a uh, prophet and a priest, he was from the tribe of Levi, so he could be a priest in the temple. And uh, over the years, he has served Israel well. Normally, if you know anything about prophets, they start with, thus saith the Lord. And very rarely do they start with, thus saith the Lord, everything's going to be great. They normally start with, thus saith the Lord, you guys screwed up. And now you're going to have to pay a penalty. So Samuel is not necessarily very well liked. Maybe we can see a little bit of why the elders come to him and say, well, do you come in peace? Because Samuel has a reputation for speaking the word of God. But now Samuel's old. He's had his two sons. He, he appointed them to be judges. Uh, I guess he was sort of semi-retired. But his sons don't follow in Samuel's footsteps and they really don't love the Lord. In fact, it says they uh, turned aside for gain. Now, we don't know if that meant that they actually abused their position as judges and tried to profit from that or whether they ignored their position as a judge so that they could run a business somewhere. 
We don't know exactly how that, that, that comes out. But it does mean that Samuel's sons were let down. They were not doing the jobs of judges. Meanwhile, the Philistines keep whooping up on Israel. They keep enslaving them. They keep uh, uh, destroying property, things like that. And so the Israelites look around and they go, these two kids aren't doing their job. How are we going to get God back on our side? I know. Let's have a king. Because everybody else has a king and it seems to be working okay for them. So Samuel goes to God and God says, okay, I'm going to give him a king. Uh, he gives him the king Saul. Saul is anointed. He is... Really the only physical description we have of Saul is that he's handsome and he's, his head is above everybody else. So he's a tall dude. So God is appointing a tall, good-looking dude for the Israelites to have as king. Um, God is not pleased by this. And you say, well, why not? I mean, everybody else has a king. Well, in effect, Israel is rejecting God as their king. It's not good enough for them to have God in charge. They want to have a man in charge. They think that'll work out better. Um, Samuel anoints Saul and then in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel he gives a warning because Saul comes with has anybody ever given an assignment at work where you felt like you were doomed to fail? We, we not only want you to organize a crew that's going to do this job but we want the crew to get along and, and be friends. Well, they give you that crew and maybe that crew doesn't have a whole lot of people who are going to be friends. You're destined to fail. Saul was destined to fail. If you look at 1 Samuel 8, uh, verses 10 to 18, Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks, and, he sh and, and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry to the Lord. You will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. So here is a man anointed as king, but destined to fail. First point of the sermon. Not the main point, but still a point worth listening to. Be careful what you ask for. Israel asked God for a king and he gave it to them. They did not enjoy it. I've heard it said one of the most dangerous prayers you can pray is God, teach me patience. Because sometimes you will wake up the next morning imbued with this sudden amount of patience. But more often what happens is God puts you in a situation where you have to practice patience. And sometimes the consequences for failing that can be pretty severe. So be very careful what you ask for. Um, we had a preacher in Maryland, Mark Pett, who preached his last sermon sitting down because he had stage 4 cancer. 
and he could not didn't have the strength to stand up and preach. And part of his sermon, during his sermon, he said, I know that I've always prayed to be closer to the Lord. And this has brought me closer to the Lord than I ever, ever, ever dreamed I would be. But I wouldn't wish this pain and suffering on my worst enemy. He thought it was worthwhile drawing closer to the Lord. That didn't mean it was fun. Be careful what you ask for. The Lord just might give it to you. So what is the big idea of the passage? Well, the big idea is that central verse where he talks about when he... Uh, uh, that a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We see in Acts 13... That, uh, which is part of the passage we read to start the service, that when he had removed him, Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. What does it mean to be a man after God's heart? And what would it be like to get to heaven and have God say, you are a man or a woman after my own heart? Let's look real quick at Samuel. See whether he had a heart for God or not. Um, first of all, Samuel felt rejected when the people asked for a king. And so I looked and I said, well, maybe Samuel was feeling power mad and he just felt like he had the, the power of a king and so he felt like he was being replaced. But I don't see that in Samuel's behavior. I can't look at his heart but I can look at his outward behaviors. God told him to go and anoint David. Samuel said, if Saul finds out, he will kill me. Did he go anyway? He did. He obeyed God's command. He had a life. He's an old man now. But his entire life, he obeyed God's command. Samuel is one of the few people in the Bible that directly talks with God, which is kind of cool. Now, when he was a young kid, you guys may or may not remember this story. He's sleeping in the temple, and he hears a voice that says, Samuel! So Eli was the priest at the time, so he ran over to Eli's room and said, Yes? And Eli went, What? What are you doing here? Go back to bed. He went back to bed. God's voice, Samuel! He runs back into Eli. So he didn't know God at the time. Not personally. He knew of God because he worked in the temple, but he didn't really know God. So after the third time, Samuel runs back to Eli and Eli finally says, you know what? There's something going on here. Next time that the voice speaks to you, say, yes, Lord, I'm here. And he does that. He's one of the very few people in the Bible that directly hear the voice of God. When you read Samuel, he doesn't get visions. Um, you remember Daniel? And he had a vision with the, the leaves and the, the sheaves and the cows and the thin cows and the fat cows and that kind of stuff. Um, Samuel doesn't get visions. He doesn't have to interpret dreams. He gets directly the voice of God. Thus saith the Lord. He hears God speak. That's pretty awesome. Um, so why was he 
upset that Israel wanted a king. When looking at it, I think he was upset because he felt like he'd let God down. What? Had he obeyed all the time? Well, he had. But what about his sons? What do we know about his sons? They turned to gain rather than being the judges of Israel. How many of us have kids that we want to grow up with the heart for God? If you have kids, normally you want that. You know what? There's no guarantee. They may grow up godly children. They may grow up and turn from God. I suspect Samuel felt really let down because, or felt that he had let God down because his sons had turned from him. That's why he was, and God said no. Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. They've said they'd rather have a human king than me. So Samuel's heart seems to be a godly heart, and yet God never says of Samuel, he's a man after my own heart. I don't know why. Let's look at the way that, that, that uh, David was chosen. So, so uh, we take Jesse, Samuel gets to town, the elders come out and go, do you come peaceably? Yeah, peaceably. Wasn't that the truth? Did he come to make an offering to God? Well, he did, but his real purpose was to anoint a king. Why didn't he tell the elders that? Because probably if Saul found out and found out that the elders of the village had supported him, Saul would have killed them. Saul wasn't interested in losing his kingship. Being a king is a pretty good gig if you can get it. Um, so Jesse brings out his first son. He's very reminiscent of Saul. He's tall. He's good looking. What's Samuel's response? Ha! Huh, this must be the guy. God says, nope, not him. Jesse parades seven of his sons. At least a few of them are mentioned as handsome. He says, nope, not him. You can picture Samuel. It's like, okay. God said one of your sons was going to be king and I've been through all your sons. What's up? Do you have another son hidden away somewhere? Oh yeah. David, he's out watching the sheep. So they call him in and God says this is the one. Now I would like to say that this gives us hope because David was really ugly and therefore those of us who are less than handsome or less than beautiful have a chance to be selected by God. But the truth is, the Bible says David was ruddy, beautiful eyes, and handsome. So God chose another handsome person instead of those of us that might not be quite as handsome. Does that mean we don't have any hope? Well, what does the Bible say? Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. So when God looks at you, it doesn't matter if you're not quite as handsome as the person you're sitting next to. God's looking at your heart. And he wants to see beauty in that heart. What about Saul? He was...
probably the most handsome man in Israel. He was probably on all the little monthly guy calendars, you know, with the hunks. Um, maybe David was too, we don't know. Um, why did Saul need to be replaced? We said he was destined to fail. But what did he do that was wrong? Um, he had a habit of thinking that he knew better than God. Some of you will remember the story he was told to destroy the Amalekites. And he said, kill everybody, kill all their animals, destroy all their property, wipe them out entirely. But he didn't do that. He captured Agog the king. He did kill everybody else. So he was close. Um, but he captured Agog the king and brought him back. And then he took some of the sheep and some of the goats and some of the bulls and kept them, some of the better ones. If they were diseased, if they were of average quality, he killed them because, you know, why not? Um, apparently he just enjoyed killing stuff. Uh, but he disobeyed God and he kept the bulls and the, some of the sheep, some of the goats. Um, Samuel came to him and said, Hey, what's going on? I hear goats and bulls and stuff. What? I thought you killed everything. Saul's response was, Well, I was gone too, but you know, I wanted to save some of these to offer to the Lord. See, Samuel or Saul thought that he knew better than God what God wanted. God told him to destroy everything. And he did destroy almost everything, but he saved some of the animals. One of the commentaries said, well, after all, if you have a hungry army to feed, you might as well feed them with your enemy's uh, meat instead of yours. It's a lot lower cost. So what was his true reason for saving the animals? Good picnic, I guess. What was the reason for saving the king? Uh, probably as a trophy, so he could keep him in Jerusalem and show him off of what a great deal he did. Now, the interesting thing is, um, when uh, Samuel came to him, um, he said, look, look, Saul said, look, I have obeyed the Lord. Well, then why do I hear the, the goats? And the... Well, instead of I have obeyed the Lord, now all of a sudden he realizes maybe he's done something wrong. And his response is, well, the people wanted to keep the, the cattle, so I did. Notice when I can take credit for it, Saul takes credit for it. But when it's blame, he shifts the blame over to others. How often do we do that? How often do we say, you know, that guy Dave, now Dave is a generic name. We use it to represent just general people. Um, don't write me afterwards and tell me about Dave. If you're a Dave, move Dave. If you've heard the commercials, that's familiar. Um, but I, I taught Dave a new process to get him growing closer to Christ. Right? That's a good thing, right? Although actually what you taught him was not biblical. Oh, well, I was following Michael and the elders' advice. You ever done anything like that? Your mom says, says, clean your room, and you come in and say, well, I cleaned it. And she says, yeah, but what about under the bed? Oh, sis said she would do that. That's not my fault. We can't see Saul's heart, but we can see his actions. And this is not the only time that he basically takes things into his own hand. 
he, he uh, takes a bunch of men, kills a bunch of Philistines, comes back, waits seven days. And at the end of seven days, he goes, Samuel's never going to come. I'm just going to offer up the sacrifice for him. Well, kings are not authorized to offer sacrifices to God. Priests are. But he goes ahead and does it anyway. And his reason is, I waited seven days. I didn't think you were going to come, so I did it, and I did it to praise God. No, you didn't. You did it because after seven days, some of your men were leaving. And you thought if you offered a sacrifice, they'd stay. We cannot see into Saul's heart, but we can see a lot of his actions. Even in the, the verses we look at, what is, is um, Samuel's worry? If Saul hears I'm going to anoint a king, he'll kill me. Is that the act of a man of God to kill one of his prophets? I don't think so. In chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, right before this one, we talk about the, the Saul's encounter with the Amalekites. And God says this, where Samuel says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. There you have the reason why Saul would have killed Samuel if he knew what he was doing. God has rejected him. Saul thinks he knows better than God. He gives righteous excuses. How many times have we done that? We read his word, we think we understand something. We, we don't wait. You know, we think that the building that we've got now was God's timing. And maybe we didn't wait long enough. How will you know that? Well, the way you know that is you get to know God. And you get to know what His will is. What about David's heart? What can we figure out about David's heart? He's called the man after God's own heart, or after God's heart. Maybe if we can learn enough about his heart, we can emulate him, we can copy him. Well, where's David during this passage? He's out with the sheep. So what can we learn from that? Well, he's obedient. Apparently, some, I'm, I'm reminded of the story of Cinderella and her evil stepsisters. That they got to go to the ball and Cinderella didn't. David could have tried to sneak over to the sacrifice so that he could be there too. We don't see any sign of that. We see him being obedient and humble to what his father told him to do. What else do we see David doing? Well, what do we know David for? He wrote the Psalms. Right? He killed Goliath, the giant, and the entire Israeli army and even, army and even King Saul was not interested in going up. They just were too afraid. He took five stones to kill Goliath and a sling 
Was that because he didn't trust God with one stone not enough? If you read your Bible, you'll find Goliath had four brothers. I suspect he was worried about instant revenge. And so he took enough stones to handle Goliath and his four brothers. Is that a heart that trusts God? I think so. What else is he known for? Uh, he's making a fool out of himself. When the ark came back to Jerusalem, remember that story where he was dancing coming into town and his wife was like, just, you're embarrassing me. He said, that's okay, I'm embarrassing you for the Lord. Get over it. Uh, this is a heart for God. Um, I do not recommend, oh, by the way, he was dancing more or less in his underwear. I do not recommend copying David in that, just so that you know. Um, there's another story about David. Now, I would assume once you're anointed to be king, you become king, right? Well, apparently not. There's a long period of time between the anointing of David and when he actually becomes king. During that time, he is the, the uh, musician for Saul to calm his anger bouts. During that time, Saul tries to kill him several times. And one of those times, it's, it's kind of a funny story, um, Saul's out in the wilderness chasing David, and he's got to go. So he goes into this cave, and he squats, because that's what you do in those days. And when he comes out, David was in the cave and actually cut a corner of his robe off to show that, that he could have killed Saul. Well, his men had reminded him that uh, God had said to David, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hands to do with him as you wish. So his men are going, Man, this is great. You're anointed to be king. Saul's in here in the cave with you and you've got a knife. And God told you he would deliver your enemy into your hands. You should just kill him. Problem solved. And he doesn't. Why doesn't he? David says, I will not harm the Lord's anointed. He knows that King Saul was anointed by God and he will not be the vehicle of his death. Is that a heart for God? Maybe we can learn from him that the convenient solution is not always the godly one. Um, examine what your intent is and make sure that it matches God's will. David was sure that, that killing Saul was not God's will at that time. And in fact, later on, Saul dies during a battle with the Philistines. So, David doesn't actually have to kill him. Uh, David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. He said, I live in a palace and the Lord lives in a tent. We should build him a temple. God said, no. Your hands have too much blood on them. But his son Solomon built the temple. Now, Samuel's sons turned from the Lord. Solomon built him a temple. Now, we don't know what was in Solomon's heart. He had, what, a hundred wives or hundred concubines or something. He, he, just, he just had a bunch of women. Um, so we don't know what was in his heart. We don't know. Um, we know that he got in some trouble for that because some of the women were not, not local and worshipped other gods and sometimes he would join them just 
because they were his wives and he thought he should do that, I guess. But David certainly seems to have had a heart for God. Uh, so we look at David and Goliath. We look at uh, not killing Saul. We look at, at the Psalms that he wrote. This is David. But it's not all of David. What else do we see with David? He slept with his best friend's wife. He took his, well, second best friend, I guess. Jonathan may have been his best friend. But he slept with his general's wife. And when he was found out, he, he put the general out in front and withdrew the troops and arranged for him to be killed. Is that the heart of God? Doesn't sound like it to me. At one point, he sinned by counting. This thing falls off. He sinned by counting the Israelites, which was something that Saul did regularly, but David wasn't supposed to do. God called him out on it. Now what is a sign of the heart of God? When he was called out on sleeping with Bathsheba and having a son with her, do you remember what he did? He repented. And God called him out for counting the Israelites, numbering them, taking a census. He repented. And I think that's one of the keys to having the heart of God. Is that when you screw up, you got to repent. Repent's not just say, I'm sorry. It's actually change your behavior so it doesn't happen again. Let's wrap this up. Words are critically important. The words you use matter. If you look at Saul's life, when he was corrected by Samuel, he, he always said, Samuel, go and plead to your God for me. In other words, Samuel's God. You never hear Saul say, my God. It's always Samuel's God. From the words, it doesn't seem like Saul really knew who God was or had a relationship with him. He always spoke of Samuel's God. For him, religion, or excuse me, a relationship with God was replaced with religion and ritual. It's fine for me as king to offer a sacrifice because what's important is the sacrifice, not the obedience to God in doing it. It's fine for me to keep some of the cows because, well, sacrifice is part of, of the religion of following God, so I'll just do that. It'll be okay. It's not. Saul's heart, Saul's relationship was not with God. His relationship was with the God of Samuel. Do we do that? Are you here today because you have a relationship with the God of your parents? With the God of a televangelist or a radio preacher? Are you following the God that the River Church teaches? Now hopefully, we're teaching you the God of the Bible. If we're not, you better challenge us on it and let us know. Because that is our goal and we wish everybody here to have a heart, the heart of God. If some people, if you're in the Bible Belt, are you following the God of convenience and the God of connections? Some people there are. Maybe some people here are too, although it's a lot less likely here. You don't get elected based on which church you're in here. 
David always spoke of my God. The God of David. Do we have the God of David here? The God of John? Um, the God of Richard? Is he your God? A little bit confusing because I'm complaining because Saul used the term your God. But I want to use the term to you, your God. Is God your God? Or is God the God that you learn from somewhere else? Is it God you learn from a book? It's okay if the book is the Bible. You can learn from that book. But don't take a book by some author somewhere who thinks he knows God. You need to get to know God yourself. David was constantly speaking with God and listening to God. Um, that's why he could write the Psalms. Now, if you look at the Psalms, some of the Psalms are awesome in praising God. The Psalm we read this morning was a Psalm of praise. But if you look at the Psalms closely, a lot of them were gripes. God, why do you let evil people prosper? God, why am I surrounded by enemies? Is this sinful to gripe to God? I don't think so. I think David was very honest with God. That when he spoke to God, he spoke his heart. How many of our prayers consist of, God, you're great. Please take care of Aunt Matilda for me. How many times do we gripe to God? We clothe our prayers in this pretty language. God's not interested in pretty language. Pretty language is, is the outward signs. God is interested in the prayer of your heart. And sometimes their prayer is going to be a shout of pain because God isn't all roses and puppies and unicorns. Um, sometimes he needs to teach us a lesson and he'll use pain to do that sometimes. And when he does, it's okay to cry out in pain and say, God, what are you doing to me? Because maybe he'll answer you and then you'll understand. Or maybe he'll just say, hey, hang on a little while. I got this. Finally, I mentioned this before, David repents when he's caught out in a behavior that's not godly. David is not perfect. We often think of him as perfect, but we can find parts of the Bible where he's far from perfect. The difference between him and Saul, if you remember, Saul was like, oh, oh, not my fault. He made me do it. They made me do it. David was, oh God, I screwed up. I'll change my behavior so it doesn't happen again. I love you, God. Don't let me hurt you like this again. That's the heart of God. So if David has the heart of God, Maybe we should emulate him, copy him, and be one of his disciples. In some ways, that's kind of sort of true. Because a lot of the things David did are admirable. But why should we emulate and follow David's example when we have a better example of the heart of God? We have Jesus Christ, his son, part of the Trinity, who is God. You don't get much more heart of God than actually being God. So maybe the one we need to emulate and the one we need to copy is not David the King, but Jesus Christ the Lord and the Savior. So uh, 
In conclusion, become a disciple of Jesus. That's probably the best way to learn the heart of God. Speak to God continuously and listen continuously. And you will screw up when you do. Change your behavior. You'll never be perfect. But David wasn't perfect and he was accounted as a man after God's heart. Follow Christ and you too can be counted as a man after God or a woman after God's heart. So let's pray. Father, we need to uh, to follow you and to really um, really just seek after your heart. We need to talk to you. We need to pray in honesty, not just in, in flowery language. We need to uh, just invite you in and let you change us. Be with us as we go about this week. Help us to stop and think and to listen and to be patient and to wait upon you. We ask this in your name. Amen.